Hello everyone, you are listening to the Open to Happiness podcast. I am your host Nicoleta and today I will be joined by Mike Vatter, podcast host, board member of OCD Jacksonville, sufferer of OCD himself, uh, based naturally in Jacksonville, USA. Today we will be talking about the relationship between OCD and happiness and I'm so looking forward to explore this with you, Mike. Welcome, and uh, it's lovely to have you here on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Nicoletta. It's wonderful to be here, and I appreciate you taking the time. Oh, thank you. You're very welcome. So, Mike, before we start uh, diving into OCD um, and uh, what's joining this, this kind of suffering in our lives, let's find out a little bit about you. Who are you, and how was your journey in life so far? Oh my goodness, that's <laughs> that's a loaded question, isn't it? Um, my uh, well, I guess a little bit about me. Um, I was um, I was adopted as an infant, um, and at um, forty years old, my mother gave me a gift of a genetics test. I don't know if it's something that's uh, worldwide, but here in the U.S., we have a, a kit you can mail away called Twenty Three and Me. I've done and, it. Uh, <laughs> okay. And you, you spit into a tube <laughs> and you mail it away and they send you back your results about a month later. Yeah. And um, I, I did this kit. I did it live on Facebook because I thought it would be interesting for my friends and family who are scattered around the world to see <laughs> you know, what, I, what I was doing on this journey of 40, you know, after 40 years of going to the doctor and not being able to answer simple questions like what is your you know, uh, what is your family history? What is your medical history? Do you have di- a family history of diabetes and heart disease and cancer and all these things? I was always, always had to answer the questions. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And, you know, years and years of doctors saying, what do you mean you don't know? And I'm adopted. I don't know. I don't know any family history mm-hmm. because I was born in 1977 and I was adopted in a closed adoption back then. And, uh, there was no such thing as an open adoption unless you were extremely wealthy and, yeah. um, you know, they, they, uh, they didn't give you any history of your family. And so um, I, you know, my, my mom gave me this kit. And so I spit into a tube <laughs> and uh, a month later, I, I uh, revealed my results on Facebook live and um, people actually tuned in. They were very interested, total strangers tuned in too, because I thought it was fascinating. And um, I revealed my results, you know, that I'm, I'm, you know, 10% this and 5% that and 80% this and whatever. And, um, my husband joked that he thought I was going to be, uh, you know, a different alien from Star Wars because he's a huge Star Wars fan. And he thought I would be part Wookiee and part Ewok and all these things. And um, we we found that, um, you know, that I've, I'm i um, a uh, Sephardic Jew and that I am also um, British and I'm also um, French and I'm also, I mean, small percentages of all these yes. things yes. And, and large percentages of other things that we had no idea. And um, I don't know about maybe um, that was probably so my birthday is in April. So I think it was probably in um, so April, May, probably May. And then in October, my uh, I got a I got a message uh, through 23andMe um, that said I had some DNA relatives. And I kind of ignored that because it was like sixth cousins and I didn't really care. And I was like, everyone has six cousins. Who cares about that? That's not really a connection. And uh, mid-October of that year, and this is, you know, almost five years ago, 
um, I got a text message and I wear a smartwatch and on my text, on my smartwatch, I got a, I got a message that said, um, hi, I'm, I think I'm your sister. And I, my knees buckled. Wow. I was, I was with a, I was with a friend and I was leaving his apartment and on my way to meet a colleague for lunch and my knees buckled. And I went into uh, kind of a, a weird situation. I was kind of in shock and kind of um, not really sure how to feel. And my first thought was, this is a scam because somebody saw this on Facebook live and thought they're going to, you know, try to get some money out of me or, you know, play with me or some internet troll. And I, um, I looked at the message and thought, okay, well, it's, it's not real. And then I checked that she said in the message, I also sent you this exact same message through 23andMe's website. I know this is coming out of the blue, but I want you to know that I think I'm your sister. And I went immediately into the 23andMe app and read the message and it was verbatim the same message. And I almost fainted. I went into a full panic attack hyperventilating, sweating, all the things you go through in a panic attack. And if you or your listeners have never had a panic attack, I would equate it as when I say a full blown panic attack, it wasn't just, I'm nervous. I'm hyperventilating. I need to get out of this space. When I say a full panic attack, it's all the symptoms of the flu in about 20 minutes. (laughs) I had that kind of panic attack. Um, and my friend who I was with, he, he, you know, he didn't know what to do, but he knew to get me to a, a seated position. Uh, he put me on his couch. He went and got like lavender oils. And I started like, he was spraying the air with lavender oils. He was fanning me. He went and got uh, an oscillating fan and plugged it in near me. And he was uh, trying to like calm me down and keep me from getting flushed. He didn't know what was going on. So I handed him my phone. Um, he immediately called the colleague that I was supposed to meet for lunch and said, he's not coming for lunch. I don't know what's going on, but there's a family emergency that, that got me out of the lunch. And I processed this message from my now, now that I know half sister. And uh, I said, okay, I need to respond to this. And I responded to her and we started texting. And it was four hours later <laughs> that we, we finished this text conversation wow. And it turns out now if I'm fast, I'm sure I'm short handing this. I'm fast forwarding a little bit. Um, OCD runs in my family, my genetic line. Um, Asperger's runs in my genetic line. Um, a lot of things involving general anxiety run in my genetic line. So um, I come by it naturally. <laughs> um, and a lot of things that are in my creative uh, you know, field. Uh, I, you know, I love to paint. I love to draw. I love musical theater. I've been an actor off and on in community theater and throughout my schooling, all of that runs in my, my genetic family, my, my genetic, my biological father, biological mother, they've all done creative things in their lives. Um, and my biological father is gay. I'm gay. Um, and my, my half sister works with, or at the time worked with, um, LGBTQ uh, persons who were adopted and have OCD and have general anxiety disorder. And she's a social worker at the time was a social worker at the hospital where I was adopted. I believe this. And didn't know it. (laughs) She didn't know it. She never left. She never left the town where I was born. Mm. And so all these things came to came to pass and it was just I was blown away by this. Now my my uh, adoptive parents, my parents have met her and we've 
become very close and we stay in touch all the time. My, um, my adopted sister does not know, has not met her. It just didn't work out timing wise, but we've all become very close on social media. We've all, you know, shared, we've all become connected in, in many ways. Um, my husband has met them. Uh, her and her, or she and her family have met. We, they came to Disney World and uh, they made a vacation out of Disney World. And so we all went to Disney World and met them and hung out for the day. And it was wonderful. So that's in a nutshell how, <laughs> how I got to be wow. where I am. Um, and that's a very long answer. But um, yes, so uh, that's kind of how I, how I came to be this person who has explored his life through OCD and how it's connected, not just genetically, but, um, you know, how I, how I reconciled my diagnosis of OCD at 36 with how it was genetically connected to me. What a beautiful story. I'm so happy <laughs> very, for you. A very long story. Yes. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's a powerful story. It <laughs> talks you. about the, all of those um, details in our, in our life scripts and, and personal histories that sometimes we don't see. Yes. Uh, and you talk about them really, really nicely. I'm happy that... Yeah, now you've connected with your half-sister. Uh, what was it like for you to, to actually be contacted by a potential half-sister? Oh, I was in complete shock. I didn't, well, I knew, I knew obviously that I had been adopted. My, my parents had told me that as, as early as they could, as early as I would understand it. They, they didn't hide that from me at all. And um, they, uh, they told me, you know, very early on because they wanted me to be aware of this. And um, so I knew it was something that was going to happen, you know, uh, at some point that I was probably going to know about uh, my biological. Yes. Um, but it never occurred to me that I might have um, a biological sister or siblings because my thought process was um, if someone gave up a child for adoption, why would they continue to have other children. children. Mm -hmm. And so it never occurred to me, I would have siblings. Um, and it was just circumstantial and I won't, it's not, that's not my story to share, uh, why they continued to have children, why there were other children involved. Um, but I did, um, I did have a shock quite, you know, quite frankly, it was a shock to my system to find out I had a biological, mm -hmm. she's younger than I am. So they, they gave me up for adoption and then had my half sister. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, it was, it was a shock, but, um, all of it, obviously worked out <laughs> yes it did work out well and you're you're laughing and you're smiling so you're oh, positive yeah. about it you take it wonderful as a... yeah wonderfully positive now mm -hmm. absolutely yeah like i said mm -hmm. it was a shock but it wasn't it wasn't a bad shock and it and it all it all was it was all meant to be the way it turned out you know my my family who raised me my who i call my parents they are my parents in every sense of the word yes other yes. than biologically uh, they gave me a wonderful life. And if my birth parents had not given me up, it, for lack of a better phrasing, um, I wouldn't have had the life that I have. And I thank them. Every time I speak to my biological mother or father, I tell them, you know, thank you so much for giving me this life. Because there, there were alternatives. They could have kept me. They could have, I could have gone with one or the other of them because they're not together. Um, and I could have had a much different life. And I, I may not have turned out to be the person that I am. Yes, yes. It's about counting our hardship and blessings at the same yes. time. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Wonderful. So you're talking about OCD now through the perspective of uh, genetic inheritance. Um, your family, some some members of your family uh, have had OCD, have struggled with this. Your mm-hmm. sister, although you haven't known her at that time and she didn't know you exist and you didn't know she existed, uh, she was actually drawn into this kind of world, working as a social worker with people that suffered from OCD. How do you explain this? Because this is quite hard to to comprehend for most people, uh, especially those that don't really believe fully or as the only answer into the, uh, in, you know, uh, genetic inheritance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, my, my um, biological sister, um, her, her world of OCD is more of the general anxiety uh, disorder. Um, and her son has um, uh and I, like I said, I don't want to share their story too much because I, I don't really, it's not really my story to share, but he has, um, he has seizures and he has a bit of epilepsy um, and he has uh, some, some general anxiety as well. But our, our biological mother, um, which is the side that we share, our biological mother um, deals with anxiety as well. And there's OCD on her side of the family. So although she doesn't have OCD, it does come from that side of the family. And then my mm-hmm. biological father has OCD and Asperger's and general anxiety disorder on his side of the family. So I definitely come by it honestly. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's there's OCD is one of those disorders that there is a learned component, but there's also a genetic component. Um, Let's talk a little bit more about that, because obviously you've been through this uh, journey of self-discovery, of of learning about yourself. You lived with this. So you are the, you know, you have the best experience that could be shared with others. Right. So the the learned experience is is things like the the compulsions and the habitual side of OCD that you pick up. Uh, as you as you um, deal with the obsessions, the compulsion side of OCD can you know, and this I can only speak to my experience. I can't speak broadly for anyone else, but the compulsions can be learned, um, learned behaviors, learned habits, learned um, uh, behaviors, to so to speak. So, if for example, um, I have the the intrusive thought of um, uh, if I if I um, don't want my mother to die, or I don't want my uh, husband to get into a car accident today. I have to click. I'm going to click a ballpoint pen. I'll do it near the microphone so your listeners can hear it. Yes. I'm going to click. I'm going to click a ballpoint pen. Um, it's a magical thinking. Yes. Um, you know, it, yes. it doesn't make any sense, and I hope your listeners understand what I mean by that. It's a magical thinking that if I click this ballpoint pen three times today, my husband will be safe. Yes. Uh, he yes. won't, he won't get into a car accident. Yes. It's um, a way of coping really in a way. Right. It's so, it, the way it's you, so, it, you it's learn a lack to of cope. serotonin usually yes. in our brains that says, and it makes no sense. It's not logical. And we know it's not logical. We as the sufferer know it's not logical, but our brain says it's like a Jiminy cricket that sits on our shoulder or an angel and devil. If you think of like the old Bugs Bunny cartoons, um, you know, the, the, the little devil on your shoulder says, if you want your de- your husband, your dad, your mother, whatever, to be safe today, you have to click the ballpoint pen three times or your husband will die. Okay, well, obviously, I don't want my husband to die, so I'm going to click the pen three times. Well, that's a temporary solution yes. to an illogical, it's an illogical solution to a, to a problem. So I click the pen three times. Well, that gives me temporary relief. So tomorrow... I have to click the pen five times because just in case three wasn't enough, I have to do it 
two more times because for me, it's odd numbers. Other people, it might be even numbers. Um, and then I think, well, the ballpoint pen worked, but now I should probably do something else just in case. And that's, it's that just in case or that what if that is the OCD killer. You know, it's like that, it's that maybe I didn't do enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so today my OCD thought, my OCD monster in my head says, well, you should probably also wash your hands four or five times just to be safe. Okay, well, I'm going to wash my hands five times then because four is a bad number, five is a good number. So I click my pen five times and wash my hands five times. So then it compounds to, you know, and, and I say learned behavior because it, it's something that your very creative brain, this, this machine, this computer in our skulls comes up with that makes no sense. Um, it, it's this, this weird thought to a, to an imaginary problem that your brain says, okay, well, we did these five things yesterday. Let's add five things today. And for some people, eventually they're doing seven or eight hours worth of compulsions just to squash this one thought and they never get out of the house. Um, now for me, um, my OCD is not that severe. I'm what they consider to be high functioning. And I always joke and say, I don't know what that means. High functioning. I can, you know, I can hold down a job. I can get out of the house. I can, I can smile and be happy with my life. Um, but I'm also you know, 40, 45 years into this and I've been doing therapy and taking medications and I take a serotonin, um, you know, supplement and I, I, I do the things I need to do. I do uh, exposure response prevention therapy. Um, but there are people who, who don't or can't do those things for whatever reason. And they, they have to tie their shoes uh, five or six times before they leave the house. They have to change their shirts 10 times before they leave the house and they never make it out the door. Um, and they end up, you know, like, um, if you think of Howard Hughes as the, as the famous example, you know, living in one room in their house and using the bathroom in jars and never leaving their bedroom, um, because they can't get that compulsion, that obsession and compulsion relationship just right. And they never make it out the door of their bedroom, let alone their house. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a combination of the genetic coding that our parents give us. Um, plus the learned behavior of the compulsion to make the obsession go away. Very interesting. Yeah. So for me, and I've been able to deal with it, but for other people, it's not, they're not as fortunate. Yeah. Yeah. I am aware of that. And I suppose it's part of our journey to learn to cope with our own afflictions, with our own difficult uh, ways of, of, of living and behaving and thinking. So now, is there a link between um, OCD and happiness? Has there been room for you in life uh, for happiness? Uh, you've got loaded questions today. Um, yes. yes, I think there is. Absolutely. I think there's a link. Um, I think there's a link between everything we do and happiness, right? Um, you know, but specifically with OCD, I think the, um, for me, the link is you have to choose happiness, um, in, in everything that we, that we do, we ha- have to choose the path that will get us to happiness. Excuse me. I, <laughs> I thought I was going to sneeze. I didn't. Um, but I, you know, I think, I think we have to choose that path to happiness and, and that, that answer is different for every person. But for me, um, I, you know, I didn't start medication for years for my OCD because I said to my husband and I said to my family and my close friends, I said, I don't want the medication to dull the gregarious, outgoing, happy 
part of me, the creative yeah. side. Yeah. And if it does tell me, because I may not notice. And if it yes. dulls me, I want to get off it. Um, if it, if it just dulls the OCD, if it just dulls the monster in my head, I'll keep taking it. But if it dulls the best parts of Mike, I don't want to take it anymore. Um, so they've been very good and they've, they've been my, my team, my rally. And they've said, you know, you're good. You know, you're still the Mike we love and adore. Um, so I feel like it's working for me. Um, but I, I made that conscious choice to say, if I'm going to start medication to make my life easier, I still want to be a happy person. Um, and, and so for me, I, I choose happiness. It's, it's not a conscious choice every day, <laughs> but it's a conscious choice frequently. Yeah. And today I chose to come on your show, you know, and I was, was I nervous about it? Absolutely. Uh, did I sleep well last night? Not, not particularly, because um, I was a little nervous about this, but I still chose to come on here and, and deliver a message to your listeners and people who maybe need to hear that you can be happy and live with OCD. Um, and there is, a, there is a, a conscious choice to happiness. I think that that conscious choice is different for every person. But for me, it's finding that creative outlet. It's finding what it is that you love to do and keep doing it. Um, for me, it's painting. I think I mentioned earlier, it's, you know, singing at the top of your lungs in the car, (laughs) singing in the shower. Uh, I have five cats. Well, uh, four cats. We just lost one of our cats. Uh, she was 20 years old. We lost her a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so we have four cats. I just get used to saying five. We have four cats. Um, and they bring me, uh, you know, immeasurable joy. Um, I, I love them like children because they're just, you know, they climb on everything and they, (laughs) they bounce around the house. Very joyful. Yeah. Yeah, two of them are little kittens, so they're they're getting into everything now. Um, but you know, I I choose to bring joy into my home, and, and mm-hmm. what brings more joy than baby animals? <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Out more observing what's actually happening around us. It's about yes. tapping into those little moments, as you described, yeah. that can actually bring the the, the joy and happiness. So, I think I was a Disney princess in a former life. I surround myself with animals and small, small humans to really. <laughs> <help bring> me- <laughs> wow! I, I, we, my husband and I have six godchildren um, because he has you know nieces and nephews that he was made the godfather of, and then together we've become the godfathers of other you know friends and family members' children. So we have six godchildren between us, and wow. they bring us they bring us immense joy. We we have our favorites. We're not supposed to say that, and I won't say which no. Ones. No, <laughs> but we, we, do have, we do have our favorites and, and yeah. they bring us immense joy as well. Wow. And it's hard work as well, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of responsibility, but it's beautiful. It's beautiful yeah. because it's an important role that we have in life. Oh, of uh, course. Just mentoring them and guiding them. So beautiful and watching them grow and develop into adults. So happiness for you is just uh, being connected with yourself and being able to do what you enjoy and and listen to what's coming from inside of you. It really uh, is. It's, it's, yeah. It's, you know, people say, um, you know, dietitians will tell you to to eat what your body craves. Um, I'm not good at that. I, I <laughs> self-care for me. I, I've never been good at self-care when, when someone says eat what your body craves. Well, my body's always craving chocolate donuts and ice cream. So if I yeah. ate what my body <laughs> craved, I would, I would weigh 600 pounds. Um, yeah. But I, I, I intake what my body craves, which is joy. And I, I find joy in, like I said, you know, little animals and, and small people, which is children, you know, the, the children and animals in my life, they bring me joy. And that's, that's where I find my happiness. 
<laughs> so great. So <laughs> when you feel that joy and the happiness, where do you feel it? Do you feel it in your body, in your mind, or in your soul? Oh, my soul. My soul for sure. Yeah, yes. it, because that that just encompasses every. It's like an aura almost. Yeah. Not even really my soul. It's my aura. I've I was I I've been told this three times that I can remember in my life. I think once I was ten or eleven years old, and the last two times, one was just about a month ago, and the other time was a couple of years ago. Complete strangers stopping me on the street and telling me that I have a good energy. And that to me is, is almost a watershed moment. Um, and it, it's, I, I don't know if, if this, if this translates and I, I hope it does. There's a, there's a character in, um, in New Orleans mythology, um, almost like a, like a, um, she, almost like a, a, a witch or a, or a, um, like a, like a jazz history of the, of the old hunched over black woman who uh, sits on the bench and speaks to spirits like a Minerva kind of character mm. who um, communes with spirits in the graveyard and like old new Orleans jazz history. And she, she's, uh, you, she looks like a bag lady, but in, in the stories of like old new Orleans jazz, she's like a, a medium almost. And she, she will stop people and say, don't go home today because something bad's going to happen to you or, you know, or, you know, go play the lottery. And, you know, she's almost like a medium or a, or a mm -hmm. telepath. And, um, and she's in the princess and the frog Disney movie. She's one of those characters. She's like the, the fates of old uh, Shakespeare. Right. Um, kind of rolled into one character. And she, she kind of has this energy, right? So when I was about 11 years old, um, I was in an old part of town and um, I think we were in Philadelphia uh, or Harrisburg, somewhere in Pennsylvania, because my dad's family is from there. And a woman stopped us. We were, we were shopping. My mom and I were shopping with my sister and um, she stopped. She, she seemed to be a bag lady, a homeless, a homeless woman. And she, she stopped us and she just said, you have great energy. And I know she kind of freaked us out, but it was a compliment. She didn't, she wasn't panhandling. She wasn't looking for anything in return. She just said, you have great energy. Always keep that. And we were like, oh, well, that's kind of freaky to tell a 10 year old kid, but okay. But I, I remember feeling this sense of pride when she said that. And a couple of years ago, I was uh, visiting a client in a maximum security area. It was a, 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 air, a place where they build airplane parts. And I, I do marketing, a freelance marketer. And um, I, <laughs> I was visiting a client and the security guard was waiting for the client to come down and get me to take me into the facility. And the guard said, man, you give off great energy. Has anyone ever told you that before? He said, you just carry yourself. We, we have this, this great energy. You just have this aura about you. And I was like, well, that's the second time someone's told me that. And then about a month ago, my husband and I were shopping in this old part of Jacksonville, this uh, old artsy, you know, kind of uh, bohemian area of, of Jacksonville uh, called Five Points. It's a, a historic area. And uh, a woman stopped us to ask if we would sign up for her charity newsletter or some charity she was doing. And, uh, and I said, well, not today. We're in a huge hurry, but give me your flyer and I'll do it when I get home. I'll look into it. And she said, you just have this great energy. I love the energy you're putting off. And I was like, okay, this is the third time. And I, you know, I love threes. It's an odd number. So yeah. <laughs> that's a good sign too. Um, but I just thought that's, that's something I, I carry with me too, is that 
even on my worst day, and I was having a bad day that day, the last time this happened, I was having a really bad day. I didn't even want to stop and talk to her. But she said, you have this great energy. You're giving off this wonderful energy. This vibe you give off is just magnetic. And I was like, okay, it must be something that I give off in the right moment or at, at the right time or to the right type of person. And so that it's an aura thing to answer your question. When I feel joy, or even when I'm not feeling joy, when, when someone needs joy, I can exude it unintentionally, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people feel it. And so that's, that to me is a big thing too. When you, when you have happiness, people feel it, even if you don't feel it yourself, you know, you, when, when you exude happiness, others know it so precious to have people actually stopping you and and i know it it does freak you out the first couple times (laughs) yes no but there's this there's something there i mean it's something to celebrate to enjoy and and be happy about so that's gonna uh probably uh give you a bit more happiness (laughs) even more happy so you know mark twain mark twain once said i could live off a good compliment for three months and to me I, i i've lived off that that you give off, you know, good energy. I've lived off that for 40 something years. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I think we need that. We need energy is very important to us, isn't it? So it must be that uh, you are on a, on a different frequency that f- people maybe want to tap into. They, they feel good maybe. around you because I'll they need it. that. And they don't know how to get themselves there. And yeah. of course, being around you, they feel encouraged. Oh, look, this is a nice yeah. vibe. You know, this, there is something about this man. I like to come closer. So <laughs> yeah. if you're working you're with yourself. You're making me blush. <laughs> no, no, no. But that's it. That's, that's the reality. And we need to uh, be able to acknowledge when, uh, when there are wonderful things, uh, you know, in our lives. Um, maybe we, because you function on a higher level of uh, consciousness. Because Maybe. you function from love, from acceptance, from understanding. You've been yeah. scarred yourself as a, an adopted child. I can yeah. relate with this a little bit because my, my parents uh, uh, took me to the grandparents. So I was brought up by them. I didn't have that connection with my biological parents. It's not the same because I was still somehow in the family. But I think it's kind of the same in a way. You're it still is. not with your biological parents. You're still with right. someone else. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, way of actually exploring a little bit our our past and our, you know, uh, life history. Um, sorry, I, I interrupted you. You wanted to say something. I don't want to no, steal no, no, your ideas. <laughs> I did. I, I, we were talking over each other, but I was going to say, you know, people people have asked, and my my psychologist has actually asked me that too um, about being, you know, the the um, the innate scarring that happens with with adoption, and it's something I've never actually felt that I was deprived of anything, but I know that there is a psychological scarring that happens. Um, and I've never felt that my, my parents who raised me, uh, my, my, my parents have always made sure that I, I never wanted for anything. And I, I was never spoiled. Um, I've never, I've never felt that I was, um, that I was, uh, in need of anything, but I also never felt that I was pampered in any way. I never lived, I have never lived a sheltered life, but I know that there is a, there is a trauma that happens to an infant during that process of, you know, leaving the womb and going straight to someone else. And there was a very, a very short period of time that I was in foster care. And of course I don't remember it at all. 
Um, but I know that that does something to the psyche. Um, but I don't think that that to me, I don't think that that's left any sort of lasting impression other than the growing up of, of the wondering of who, where did I come from and who, and who was I before, you know, that yes. but it, it's not a, it's not a negative scarring. Some scars, you know, people think people hear scars and they hear, they hear trauma, they hear bad, they hear negative scars. Aren't always bad. You know, you know, hear um, warriors talk about battle scars, you know, and if you've, if you've won the battle, if you, if you fought valiantly, that scar can be a reminder of something good. Yes. And, yes. and to me, I think, I think not all scars are bad. Um, so to me, it's, it's just kind of a mark of where we've been. And to mm-hmm. me, I've never thought of it as being a bad thing. And, um, you know, I, I've had psychologists, like I said, who've said, you know, well, you know, that's very traumatic. I'm like, it, it may be psychologically traumatic, but it's not personality traumatic. Yeah, absolutely. Because so, you can make a choice. Yeah. You know, you can make a choice what you think about yourself, about life, about your past right now. You can make yeah. a choice how you want to live your life. And Absolutely. what do you want to be surrounded with uh, in your life? Uh, yeah. I mean, y- your approach is so refreshing and, and so positive. I absolutely love it. And I hope that the listeners would, would really enjoy listening to you, Oferta, because uh, I think uh, when we when we talk about uh, people suffering with OCD, we, we all have our own ideas about what OCD is about. Mm-hmm. Um, even myself as a, as a practitioner, I, obviously I meet all sorts of people that uh, display all sorts of ways of, of managing their own suffering inside. And that's not the typical way of understanding what OCD is. Right. It's different for every single individual, as you mentioned, and everyone is uh, uh, reacting to what's happening within them in their own way and find yeah. their own cop- coping mechanisms. But um, it's it's beautiful to explore that uh, you don't allow whatever scars or wounds or whatever happened into your past to define what's going on in your life right now. So that shows ownership. That shows right. responsibility. You have well, we the ability know- to re- respond to yeah. What's happening right now? Absolutely, and we all know people, uh, you know, and I've I've got someone very close to me who who always seems to blame everyone else for their problems. The victimhood you know? mentality, yeah, yeah, exactly, yes. And they and they they never take their own responsibility for anything. Uh, you know, I well, I do this because, or I did that because, or so and so made me, or whatever. Yeah. And yeah, and you think when when are you going to own? your own actions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're, you're 50 years old and you've never owned your own actions or you're 80 years old. You've never owned your own actions, you know, and, and that's fine. If you're, you know, up to adolescence, I would say that maybe that's okay to get away yes. with, you know, but at some point <laughs> you've got to start, you know, taking on your own yes. responsibility. And I think that's one thing that, that therapy with OCD has taught me is, and not that I wasn't, this wasn't instilled in me already by my, by my parents, but I think it's something that that OCD, you know, ERP therapy teaches you is you have to expose yourself, you know, exposure response prevention therapy. You have to expose yourself to the thing, whether it's a fear, a phobia, whether it's a uh, a thing that is is triggering to you. You have to expose yourself to it in small increments to get past it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you you know, I work with somebody in in one of our support groups who is. Um, his biggest trigger is um, 
traveling by by vehicle, whether it's a car, train, plane, whatever. It's not that he he can't get into a plane and go somewhere. It's once he gets out of the plane, he has a small panic attack. Mm-hmm. And it's every single time he gets off a train, subway, taxi cab, small panic attack. And it's gotten to the point that he's so used to the panic attack that he just knows it's going to come. And he's creating he, it himself. <laughs> almost. It, it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yes. You know, it's like, um, but he knows if he says to himself beforehand, I'm going to have a panic attack when I get there, it's lessened. So he's, he does the exposures. He does, you know, he does prepare himself for it, which mm-hmm. is, you know, that's great. Um, but he, he sometimes will say, well, how do I get past this? And I'm like, there's no cure for OCD, but you have to keep doing the exposures. But he also never goes to therapy, which is the other thing. And I'm like, you, yeah. have, to, yeah. you have to do the exposures with a therapist. With everything. Yes. Yes. Right. And, and not that he's not trying, but everyone has their own, you know, their own uh, process. Yes. Um, yes. But then I, I, we've got other, you know, I've got other people that I, that I know who, who are, you know, they go to the, they call their therapist for everything, whether it's, you know, I've got a, I've got a paper cut. How do I deal with this? And you're like, okay. <laughs> slow down. <laughs> you, know, yeah. like, you can't yeah. call your therapist for everything, but I've learned with me, it's, you know, I, I call my therapist for check-ins, almost like a tune-up. Like you take your car in for an oil change every 10,000 miles. I call my therapist on a schedule every three months. I'm like, okay, let's check in. I've done, you know, I used to go every week. Now I go every three months and it's sometimes it's a zoom call. Sometimes it's a phone call. Sometimes it's in person, but I gauge it based on how I'm doing. Mm. You know, you've got to, you've got to fine tune that engine. Yes. It doesn't have to be the same tune up every time, you know, you gauge it based on where you are and how you're doing. Yes. That's all very important to to mention to your listeners because people are at different levels who are listening to this. They're going to say, "Well, I do this. Is that okay?" Or "I do that. Is that okay?" Mm-hmm. The answer is the answer is yes, and the answer is also no because it <laughs> depends. It depends on who you are. And yes, where you're at. yes, absolutely. And I, I appreciate the fact that you encourage listeners to actually look into the multidimensional treatment available for us. Try everything because yeah. it doesn't mean that if for other people hasn't worked, it might not work for you. I think it's really good to remain open, open to everything. Yeah. And open. medication does not work for everybody. I know people who yes. tried yes. all the medications on the market and none of them work. Well, yeah. That's just, that's that true. may not be your thing. That's you know? true. And that's true. Yeah. Yeah. The so now, may be the best thing for you, but not for somebody else. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. That's why we shouldn't be forcing anyone and we shouldn't be giving panaceas because there's nothing in this world that would resolve OCD overnight right. uh, just following those these two three steps uh, we are so unique in our experience in in the way we manifest life we open yeah. to life you use this word uh, a lot uh, it's about uh, being open to mm-hmm. connect with yourself to understand yourself to grow to try different treatments uh, the question is now, how do we cope with uh, difficult times in life when we suffer with OCD? Can we still find moments of happiness? <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, with a question mark. I don't know. Um, in the moment, uh, that's, you know, if you ask me during a panic attack, the answer is no. 
<laughs> um, but you know, I overall the answer is yes, of course, of course we can. Um, it doesn't always feel like it, but of course we can. I mean, we can always find joy and happiness. Um, to me, I use humor as a as a defense mechanism, um, and I've done it my entire life. I've done it well before I was ever diagnosed with OCD, and, and sometimes inappropriate humor is the only way to go. And you know, I've been the person at a funeral who I don't I don't even mean to do it. I was at a funeral and we were outside in the Florida heat and we were waiting for the doors to, to the church to open. And I said, Oh, can we please go inside? I'm dying out here. And I realized I said, I'm dying at yeah. a funeral <laughs> and people looked at me like I had four heads. And then they all started laughing because they realized I didn't mean to say it. It was mm. inappropriate, but it was yes. funny. Yes. And yes. it sometimes laughter through tears is the best emotion, mm. you know? And that's, that's where I was. That's what my point in telling that short story is you have, sometimes you have to laugh through the hard times. Um, and that's a shortcut to joy. Um, you know, and, and sometimes you can't laugh. Sometimes laughing is the worst thing you can do in the moment, but you find the joy after the fact, you know, um, uh, pain plus time equals comedy is what, you know, I, I'm not sure who said that, but some famous comedian said that maybe George Carlin, or I don't know, but, um, you know, you, you, you let enough time pass and you can laugh about just about anything. Um, but yeah, I think I think we can we can always find the joy in any situation if we let ourselves do it. Um, and that's the thing is, you know, I, I was talking, I was actually texting with one of my exes, and uh, from years and years ago. Obviously, my husband and I have been together for a long time, but I was texting with an ex the other day because he wanted to let me know that he's moved on and found somebody new, and he's uh, you know he's gone through several relationships over the years, and he he said I'm I'm dating somebody, and we're really serious. And I said that's awesome. And we kind of rehashed some of the stuff from our, our relationship that didn't work out. And um, we got deep really quickly in our texting. We didn't mean to, but we were talking about things that went south in our relationship. And I said, I'm really sorry. I did not mean for this to go that deep. And I was just wanting to kind of touch base with you and see how you're doing. And he said, no, it's fine. I'm glad that you did. I appreciate the feedback. And um, we started laughing about things like, you know, um, he said something about uh, a song that reminded him of me. And I said, well, the song that reminds me of you is let it go from frozen because I really feel like you need to let some stuff go that you've never let go, <laughs> you know? And we laughed about that. You know, it was like, mm -hmm. it was a funny thing. I mean, it was text. So I don't know if he was really laughing, but he said, LOL, but um, I was laughing, you know? <laughs> and so I, I found humor in that. I think mm -hmm. even in, in a dark place, um, even in a relationship that I considered emotionally abusive, I'm now able to laugh about, you know, I thought it was funny. Um, and I can move on from that. You know, I had some closure finally from a relationship that I'd never got closure from before that I could look at this text and say, you know what, let it go. <laughs> and I, and I truly mean it for myself and I hope that he can too, but that's, that example is, yeah, it's a dark time. And it's something that I, I obsessed over that relationship every single day for years. I couldn't hear a song or watch a movie or wear certain um, what's the word I'm looking for? articles of clothing without thinking about that relationship, good, bad, or indifferent every single day for the longest time because I had no closure. Yes. And that, you know, just having that little bit of closure, you know, over the last few days of, of, um, you know, one of his exes actually texted me and said, you know, he's seeing somebody. And then 
that prompted a conversation that I thought would never happen. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, let it go. <laughs> yeah. I'm, so. I'm so happy to, to hear that you're actually able to think of your past experiences that have been quite difficult, some of them, as you described them, torturing sometimes, especially yeah. relationships, when they leave some unfinished business there in the past, uh, yeah. it's kind of hard for us to cope because they remain in us. It's like a remembrance, continuous remembrance. But I'm, I'm happy to hear that you're actually finding your own way around yeah. sorting things out and tidying up whatever's going on in your life. And the letting go is so important. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we ruminate a lot on, on past experiences because we haven't understood. Uh, there is a step, a little step in front of the letting go. And that's the understanding. We need right. to really understand what happened from all right. perspectives, not just from our little box. And then once, once you let go, then it stays in the past and you can just, you know, surrender to everything and start learning the lessons and just look at everything from distance. And I feel that even with OCD or any other kind of affliction we might have, it's very helpful to embrace this attitude. So thank you for, for sharing this with, with our listeners. Oh, of course. And what I was going to say about, about, you know, OCD and, and, and the relationship, you know, um, our OCD relationship OCD is, is one of the things that I, I do suffer from is one of the subtypes I suffer from. And it, it's hard because uh, I was trying to explain this to my parents um, actually at one point, ROCD uh, for me um, assigns equal importance to almost all relationships. Um, and it's like, it's like spinning a roulette wheel or the wheel of fortune game. Mm-hmm. Um, on Monday, my husband is the absolutely most important person in my life. And he may still be on Wednesday, but then all of a sudden on Thursday, it's my, uh, you know, the guy at the UPS store, the, the clerk at the, at the post office is all of a sudden the most important person in my life. I don't know why my OCD chose that. This is now the most important person in my life. And I need yeah. to know, did he get home? Okay. Did he, you know, did he eat dinner today? You know, did he, you know, get enough caffeine in his system to do his job correctly? I need to know that Tony is doing the best he can do today and make sure that his life is perfect and nobody else matters today. That's the guy who I'm focused on today. Tony's the most important relationship in my life this Thursday, but you know, Friday, it's my mom. And, and, you know, then Saturday it's Nicoletta, you know, it's just, it, my brain decides that's who it's going to be. Thank and, you for including me. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because that's who my brain decides is the most yes. important person. today. That's yes. the relationship yes. I have to focus on today. Um, and so I have to make that conscious choice. Well, I, you know, I don't really know the clerk at the post office that well. And and do I need to focus on him? I mean, does it matter in my life if he gets home safely today? No. I mean, is he a human being that I care about in the realm of the world? Yes. In the sense that he's a fellow human and I do yeah. care about him, but if he doesn't have dinner tonight, will it affect my world? No. Do I need to spend more than 10 minutes thinking about him today? No. My husband my godchildren, my parents, my sisters, they're the ones I need to focus on. And right now it's Nicoletta, you know, right? Yeah, but uh, you know, right. It, yeah. in the whole scheme of the world, the clerk at the post office is not the person I need to be worried about. So I need to, mm. I need to do what I need to do to turn that part of my brain off today. Mm. And 
it can't be a compulsion. It can't be clicking my pen or washing my hands or flicking my light switch to make that compulsion go away. It's sitting with that thought, okay, am I worried about Tony today? No, I'm not worried about Tony today. I like Tony. He's a nice guy. Now let it go. And that's, that's the ERP side of the OCD, you know, thought and compulsion. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it can't be more than that. Or I will ruminate and obsess like I did with the breakup that I did every single day for, you know, four or five years of thinking, when am I going to get closure? So you have to make that conscious choice to let it go or, yeah. or, or you're going to be sitting on the therapist's couch for the next 10 years yeah. talking about the exact same relationship. Yeah. Every single- <laughs> Yeah, no. yeah. Wow. So well said. Absolutely. It Your is therapist a choice. doesn't want to hear the same conversation every time you come in either. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know? no, no, no. They want variation. They want uh, right. a difference. Yeah. Uh, beautiful. So um, I'm so uh, intrigued by, by this uh, relationship OCD. Maybe we can talk about this sure. uh, some yeah. other time. Uh, only focusing on this because I think this is very interesting. I love the concept. It's yeah, a tough one. It's yeah, a hard one to, it's, it's, to, to conceptualize. Yes, it is. It is. It's very specific, isn't it? Yes. And it's shaped by the, that particular nature of the relationships that one has had, which is quite yeah. hard, I would imagine, for me as a therapist to, you know, um, be able to come closer to that kind of world, in, you know, in time. But it's it's interesting that um, you consider it and you explain about it and you, you share a little bit how it plays out in real mm-hmm. life. I mean, I found this conversation, I could talk to you forever. I found these conversations so interesting so pleasant uh your story is very rich and i love the way you you speak about your life experience uh, in an accepting way and respectful way so you you have um, appreciation for your life with its blessings and and hardship and um yeah that's so important it's essential i think for for keeping ourselves uh, on the baseline, you know, with yeah. in good mental health and well-being, uh, it's been such a wonderful conversation. Uh, maybe share a few tips with our listeners now towards the end. How can they, when they suffer with OCD, any type, any shape, any form, any manifestation, how can they uh, maybe uh, manage their own condition? Um, so they can enjoy life and they can allow for a bit more happiness to to step through the doors. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say the biggest thing is when you feel that, that anxiety rising in in the pit of your stomach, or for me, it's actually in the small of my back and in the base of my um, base of my skull, like that, that, um, that feeling of anxiety that's coming on. And it's right before you get a panic attack. It's that feeling. And anyone who suffers from it will know what I mean. It's, it's the, it's that adrenaline rush. Like you're going up the hill on a roller coaster. When you feel that coming on, plant yourself, make sure both feet are flat on the floor, whether you're standing or sitting, plant your feet, take deep breaths in slowly and deep breaths out and find three things that you can see, three things that you can smell, three things that you can hear. They don't have to be pleasant. They don't have to be things that you like, but three things you can, with, with, all, with all your senses, three things you can see, hear, smell, and touch. Tactile things. Like I said, they can be gross. They can be pleasant. They can be, you know, whatever they are. Just make sure there's things that you can actually, with your senses, you know, feel and touch and see and smell. And 
than taste. It may just be feeling your teeth with the tip of your tongue. It could just be the, the aftertaste of your mouthwash, whatever it is, the last cigarette you touched, the last mint you had, whatever it was, taste that three things. Even if you have to make it up and say, oh, I, I taste vanilla, whatever it is, and focus on those three things for each sense for three seconds each. And I, even, if, even if your magic number is, a, is an even number and you want to do four, do three. Three for each sense for three seconds each and just let the anxiety pass through you as you're doing these three for each sense. Five senses, three things for each sense. It's very simple and it'll get you through the moment until the moment passes and it'll feel like an eternity. I promise you it'll feel like an hour It'll take just a moment of your day, let the anxiety pass through you, and then you're ready to tackle the next thing. Even if the next thing is just calling your therapist and making an appointment, even if the next thing is calling your mom or your best friend or your sibling and saying, I just need to talk to somebody right now. I need to vent. I need to get it out of my system. It helps you take the next step. And the next step gets you closer to that joy and that happiness. Thank you so much for this grounding advice. Uh, now, uh, where can people find out more about you, Mike? Oh, guess uh, my <laughs> my uh, uh, podcast is available on uh, Stitcher and Audible for free. You don't have to subscribe. Uh, you get the free episodes, which uh, every couple of weeks we release a new free episode. It's OCD SOS, which stands for OCD Sharing Our Stories. Um, you can subscribe on all the major platforms, but like I said, we have uh, nine or 10 episodes always available for free on um, uh, Audible and Stitcher. And uh, if you want to see videos of my cats and, and me complaining with my husband about the various movies that we've watched, you can always find me on TikTok at Mike Batter. And that's just for fun. But um, OCD Sharing Our Stories, OCD SOS is my podcast. And then OCD Jacksonville is our um, website and all of our social media handles if you want to join any of our support groups. Uh, we'd love to have you. They meet via Zoom uh, three times a month on Thursdays. Oh, thank you so much, Mike. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mike. It's been absolutely fantastic to chat with you today. Uh, big thanks to all of you listening and many, many thanks to you, Mike, for joining me here today. Thank you, Nicoletta. I've really enjoyed it. That's it for now. Until next time, we are wishing you all good health and happiness.